0: Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Things Crime. I'm Jared, your host, and a fantastic guest this morning, Christian Flood. Recently retired from NYPD and now he's escaped into free America. He's down in Florida and uh, just excited to talk to him today. But before we get into, into Christian and all the amazing things that I know we're going to be talking about and fun things we're going to be talking about this morning, make sure to subscribe, help us out, and hit that bell as well so that you never miss an episode and uh, share it with your friends. You know, we got fantastic guests that people that have intimate knowledge of not only law enforcement but also the criminal justice, how things are happening in America. And yeah, you know what? This information needs to get out. So make sure to share it and uh, definitely subscribe. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jared. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Of course. Yeah. Like you said, uh, welcome to free America, man. What was it like growing up in New York compared to where you are now? night and day. Uh. <laughs> Night and day,
1: I don't, I don't know where to explain. Definitely towards the end of my career, and then dust into my very early stages of retirement with all the restrictions—we'll call them mask restrictions—and all this social distancing and all the other hoopla that went with it in New York. Coming down here when I before I bought my home it was kind of like a culture shock. Like you know, you'd almost think that they had such a handle on it down here with Governor DeSantis that. There was no pandemic going on. You know, people were adults. We were treated with respect. If you feel right, you didn't go out. They had dining. You know, I was around Valentine's Day uh, before I bought my house. And outside at a restaurant with my buddy, his wife, his family, my family, my wife and my daughter at the time. And yeah, sitting down having dinner in a restaurant. And it's not over-eats or anything like that. So I'm like, wow, we got to rethink our uh, life choices here. So, needless to say, uh, after that visit, we put my house on the market, came down for another holiday weekend to buy a house, bought the house over that weekend, sold my house in New York, and uh, in May of 21,
0: I am now Floridian. <laughs> so, not looking back, big guy, not looking back at all. Yeah, boy, I'm with you. I love Florida. We do a ton of business there, especially with uh, MVAC systems, and I, I, it seems like I'm in Florida five, six times a year. Love it down there great friends all over the place. So, you know, after the, after the podcast, I'll get your information. And next time I'm down there, if I'm, when I'm in your area, we'll, we'll go hit dinner or something, man. It'll be awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we got to get Scott down there. Yes, we do. (laughs) That'd be so,
1: that you would have a front row ticket to a lot of, uh, great stories,
0: well-versed history. That would be a good night. (laughs) That'd be a very good night. For those of you who don't know, we're talking about Scott Wagner, who is also a retired NYPD detective. And in fact, his uh, last episode, I've had him on the show twice. Uh, I still haven't really tapped into all of his stories. He's just amazing. But I, his second round of episodes just dropped. And so those of you that are fans of the show, make sure to go and, and see some of my discussion with Scott. He had some great insights, especially into that, that Idaho quadruple murder. And, um, it was fun talking to him, but just a great guy. But, you know, he's a diehard New Yorker, man. He, um, I don't know. I don't know that he'll ever leave. You know, he's your own. I think <laughs>
1: if he was to come down here on a long holiday weekend, he would see things that are,
0: in my words, eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, it's all perspective, of course. But, I mean, now that, uh, it's, you know, pretty much all, all of the restrictions are really gone. But they're yeah. in the middle of it. And... The crazy thing is, you know, I'm in Utah. I was born and raised in Idaho, so I've been in the West most of my life. I lived a couple of years in Vermont when I was younger, but you know that was like, geez, that was thirty some, forty years ago. So yeah, I'm kind of dating myself here. But and then with other than the military and living in you know like Kentucky and Tennessee and Alabama places like that. But all of that is what what I call Free America and. The rest of it, you know, I'd never really in recent times in an area. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did spend a year in California when I was with a pharmaceutical mm. company, and, but only a year. And it wasn't so much the restrictions that, it, that I saw there, but it was more just the cost of living. It was just insane. Yes. I mean, we called it the sun tax, but the weirdest thing was, so we moved from Las Vegas where we okay. li- had lived for four years. Down to the San Diego area. And the weirdest thing to us was during the day, the neighborhoods were just empty. It was like a ghost town. And with the exception of just a couple of, uh, you know, like places, you know, in home care centers or, you know, for kids and stuff like that, and homeschools and things like that. But other than that, every house was empty because everybody was at work. You had to have a two, income family just to live there. And I, it was just bizarre to us, you know, the days I, so I was in sales. And so some days I would have short days and other days I'd be out for 12, 14 hours, but it, it was just bizarre to, you know, to drive through your neighborhood and just see nothing going on. And until about five o'clock when, you know, the the freeways are jam-packed and then by six or seven, everybody's arriving home and, you know, they have places hustle and bustle. And it was just It's just bizarre, but you know, we stayed there a year and then we're like, we're out of here. Smart, very smart. Yeah, there's no there's no sun tax down in Florida. It's actually no. (laughs) Right, yeah. At least income tax. There's no income tax there, which is just super smart. It's there. There's so many so many draws to states like Tennessee and Florida and Texas that don't have any income tax, and you know, the relative state taxes are pretty low. I love it. Of course. Where they get you is like when guys like me come into town and I stay at a hotel. Wow. Boy, you know, yeah. I mean, overnight parking and uh, resort fees and things like <laughs> that's you where on, you yeah. guys. That's where you guys make all your money. And uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, cause every state has to have a certain amount of money to uh, survive. And that's where they get it from. Uh, uh, crazy. Anyway. Hey, let's talk about law enforcement, man. That's what we're here for. Go for it. Um, It's called All Things Crime for a Reason, right? Yes, sir, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, so one of the first things I have to ask you, I know you live in Florida now, but on my show, so first of all, I was able to, about a year and a half ago, I actually took with a couple of other friends of mine, you know, retired military guys, went down to Panama and we saw what's called the Darien Gap. And the Darien Gap is... I made some great episodes on that. So all of you listening, uh, make sure to go back and check these episodes out, especially with Congressman Burgess Owens. So he was one of the congressmen, and then the other one was Tom Tiffany out of Wisconsin. Two great guys, but the big thing was when they came into Congress a couple of years ago, one of their primary concerns was the wide-open southern border. And anybody that doesn't actually admit that it's a wide-open border either hasn't been there, or is completely naive, or just completely in denial, or worst case, they, are, they want to open for whatever nefarious reason that is, and it's, it's creating just absolute havoc on the country, and I, like, I, we have relatives that live about 20 miles north of the U.S.-Mexico border in Arizona, and just a really small town down there, and I'm telling you, it is the Wild West all over again everything is, is just overrun. But anyway, the bottom line is when we were in Panama, we were interviewing some of these migrants that were coming through the Darien Gap, which if you don't know, is 60 miles, and as the crow flies, 60 miles of some of the most dangerous jungle in the entire world. And why would they make this trek to, you know, the first stages really of their migration up to our southern border and then into the United States. And when we were down there, it was, I want to say, May of 2020. Some major events going on there, but basically they were all like, hey, Joe Biden is now the president of the United States, and it is time to go. And back then, in this little village that we were in, called Baja Chiquito, I'm sure I'm slaughtering that, but <laughs> there was, you know, it's a little village of like 450 people. Back then, there were a couple hundred migrants per day coming out of the jungle through this village. And, you know, some of them had gangrene, you know, from walking and, you know, feet were wet for weeks. And, you know, some were bit by snakes, some were washed away by the rivers. It was just a harrowing journey for these people. and But every single one of them, had the impression that once they, you know, whenever they had to go through, whatever hell they had to go through and whatever danger they had to go through, all they had to do was reach our southern border. And once they got into the United States, it was, you know, the streets are paved with gold and their life is taken care of the rest of their lives. Literally, that's that. that was their mentality. And there was one time in particular... Toward the end of the day that we were there, where these migrants were standing around complaining to the mayor, and you know, there's a reason I'm explaining all this to you. So. No, go right ahead, please.
1: I'm, this I'm is yeah. a very intrigued story. Like I'm, out. yeah,
0: really. And then what happened? Yeah, you no, know, by it, me. Oh, yeah, you you need to go back and see these episodes too, because I think you'd be really intrigued by it. But uh, and I've, and on the YouTube at least, I've got some great footage of okay. the actual village that we that Damn. we went and saw. So. All right. These guys, these migrants had walked into this village uninvited. You know, these, it's not like the villagers had said, hey, you know, family member or whatever, come on into our village and hang out with us for a weekend, like what we would do here. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't a Thanksgiving dinner. None of these people were invited. Yet they had the, what do you call it, man? Just the... Audacity? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great word. Audacity. To stand in front of this, basically he was the mayor of this little village, and demand better food and shelter. And you have to understand, and when you see the video, you, it would wow. blow your mind. These people did not have running water. They did not have electricity other than generators. They had to bring all the gasoline and all their supplies by riverboat up to their village. Most of their structures were cement but most of them didn't have walls. I mean, they're basically literally just columns with a roof over the top of it. Wow. So, these people it's like when you think of a third-world country and you think of the poorest of the poor. Right. Uh, people that are literally they have enough structure and enough quote civilization to basically keep the elements off of their kids. And that's it. And they're you know, they're literally carving their life out of a jungle. And then all of a sudden, somebody learned that the route from Colombia through Panama over to the Panama Highway that goes, that's the highway basically all the way north up to Costa Rica and then eventually up to the United States. Right. That the shortest route from Colombia, which is an open visa country, you know, anybody can enter it, into Panama is right there. And it... it where you come out of the jungle is this little village called Baja Chiquito. Well, the reason I bring that up is right now in New York, there. <laughs> and and I was go back and go back and listen to this because I was warning everybody. Right. I said the entitlement mentality that it takes, the audacity, like you said, that it takes right. to go up to a, a mayor of a town that has an. an The absolute cluelessness that that it would require to do this, to walk up to this guy and say, hey, you know what? The tent that you have given us and the food that that you have provided in this village is not sufficient. That's not what we need. It's not what we want. When you're uninvited, you're probably not paying for it. I mean, it's just, it's off the charts. Now, you take that mentality, and I said this, I said, you take that same mentality, and you put that in the United States and you will see a level of entitlement. The, these people have never seen the kind of wealth that exists here in the United States. And when I right. say wealth, I'm just talking running water and electricity. Yes. I mean, most people in the United States have a home that has four walls, that has running water and plumbing. You know, we, we don't keep the crap. Yeah, I mean, we literally don't have to bucket it out of the house. And, but that level of living standard is common here in the United States. Well, obviously, it's not where these people were coming from. and But like I said, you take that mentality, you put it in the United States, and you will see a level of entitlement that you have never seen before. And that is playing out in New York, in Manhattan, as we speak. That is 100% true. Yeah. So... I, I tell that story because we have seen this coming for a long time, and there have been a lot of people, Michael Yawn and other people that have that have spent time. Chuck Holton is a, a he lives in Panama, in and you know, obviously not in the Daring Gap, but they've been warning about this for a long time. They're saying these people are coming, and like I said, there was only a couple hundred a day when we were there, but now there's like more than a thousand a day coming through there. It, per day it's insane well Mm -hmm. we're seeing it and and finally it is hitting the you know the zones like people with like mayor adams is having to deal with this and it's starting to be on a mass scale we got five million people that have come into this country in the last two years well how many of them is it going to take to disrupt you know american society with that mentality it's we're well beyond the numbers that it takes to cause, you know, complete chaos. Here's my question. Finally, you know, we're, um, we're a nah, yeah. minutes into this. <laughs>
1: no, this is good.
0: Go, yeah. go, right ahead. So as a former NYPD guy, where mm-hmm. it would have been tasked to you, I'm assuming, to, you know, keep the peace and try to deal with this kind of a situation. First of all, what's your thoughts on these migrants that are basically, you know, first of all, Whose idea was it to put these guys up in a four-star hotel? (laughs) I I apologize.
1: So so that's a great question. First off, let me give you a brief background with me and my law enforcement career, because I think as I give you that perspective, you'll see how the time has shifted for when I first joined the NYPD to my retirement. And it kind of coincides with your question, which is a very valid and legit question. I joined the New York State Police Department September 29th of 2000, okay? I went through the police academy. I was about maybe four or five months on the job. I was assigned to Police Service Area Number 7, which is the housing precinct in the South Bronx. I was about maybe four or five months on the job when 9-11. So here I am, a snot-nosed kid, born and raised in the Bronx in Throgs Neck, literally a, well, meh, eight-minute car ride, door-to-door from my command to my home. and. We're we'll living through the events of September 11th. And back then, I mean, as your previous guest uh, Scott could attest to, it was the end of the crack war. You kind of was starting to thrive. You store, you saw a lot of neighborhoods changing for the better. OK? Not I can't really recall what the unemployment rate was back then, but I mean, there were jobs, you didn't have the rampant homelessness. like New York was, was starting to thrive. And then, again, tragically, 9 11 happened. Bloomberg comes in. And basically takes over from Giuliani and kind of tries to do everything in his power to make New York a thriving economic city. And he succeeds. Whether you elect the guy or not, he did three terms, each young, But I will tell you that under the Giuliani-Bloomberg era, crime was down. There was a level of respect. Now, granted, I mean, you're going to have the few apples that just, they hate the police. And that's fine. I have experienced the good and bad of law enforcement. From my time in the housing bureau to street crime or anti-crime, rather, excuse me. And then making it to the detective bureau with five and a half years on the job in '06, launch of '06, And then doing the investigative thing. I became a hostage negotiator in 2017. And all throughout my career, the city was not it was thriving. Up until, in my opinion, when de Blasio took over. And there the writing was on the wall. Now, my personal opinion of Mayor de Blasio is my personal opinion. At no time did that ever affect how I conducted my job. And I would never voice any uh, displeasure you know, publicly. Because when you wear that uniform, you, you are a, you're, you're a sign of law and order, and that thin pool line is the, the line between total civility and anarchy. No other way to cut it. And there were some trying times under the Blasio era, and you know, you had the assassination of Jen uh, Liu and, and, and Detective Ramos in, in Brooklyn, and you can suspect that there were a lot of, like, the way it was handled, a, the, the PBA president at the time, Pat Lynch, I mean, you saw guys turning their backs on the mayor because, you know, of whatever beliefs, political beliefs there were, and the direction he started to take. And I apologize. This is more of a long-winded answer, too, so I apologize for this, but- No, like um, I said, good stuff, man. I love it. <laughs> but that's when it started to turn, and you, you saw, like, you know, different commissioners coming in, and- you just got the the sense that, well, you're entitled to this. It's a free handout. The city's gonna pay for this, equity and inclusion and all this other, in my opinion, nonsense, because what you did in essence was the Blasio, in my opinion, was the start of the decay of New York to where it is now. So you had thirty years between the Bloomberg Giuliani era, where you came out of the crack epidemic and the gang and drug wars of the nineties. Even with the events of September 11th, you saw an economic boom. People were out. You didn't have people. I saw on a YouTube video, some woman in the Bronx takes a bike chain and chains herself to a, I want to say it's a concrete or steel pillar on an elevated train because she didn't want to be thrown or to potentially be thrown in front of a moving train. Like, this is what's going on now in New York. Like, this is, this is fair. And as the Palazios eight years in. During his mayoralship, he basically undid, in my opinion, thirty years of prosperity, proactive policing, and basically law and order. Now you have New York City as a sanctuary city. Yes, we'll take them. Well, at first, Mayor Adams was not happy when Governor Abbott and other governors were sending migrants to New York, and you know. When you say, we'll take you in and we're going to, you're basically giving that entitlement. And it also goes back, and if I could touch on this very briefly, with the tragic events of the well-documented summer of 2020 riot. You know, I understand peaceful protests. What happened to Mr. Floyd was completely wrong. I'm a cop. I am saying that, you know, the cuffs are on, it's over. That should never have happened. And my heart goes out for that family. But there also has to be some type of level of you can voice your First Amendment rights of free speech, freedom of assembly, but not burn down cities. And I'm not just talking about New York. They're going from the eastern seaboard to the west coast. This happened, again, to your viewers, to your listeners, please do the research. But there, were, there was no peaceful protest. I was down there when model of cocktails were being thrown at police vehicles. When I went in, I believe it was, uh gape of me right now, when they took over the precinct and burnt it down, you know, like you can't allow that to happen. And then you build that sense of entitlement within your own country, within your own cities. Well, now you have, was it, 15,000 a day coming across the southern border. Well, forget their level of entitlement, as you said, in your, uh, in your opening monologue with, the, uh, with that village you were in. Well, now, just... Seventy two hours ago, Mayor Adams had to come out with, I guess, one of these migrants, and they went to Brooklyn and he's pulling an orange out of his jacket, showing, like, there's good food here, there's heat, there's hot water, how is this, there's not bed bugs. I mean, to his credit, like he finally called out, you know, the, the federal government, like, hey, we need funding, we need help. Like, there's a serious problem going on, and now you're basically turning every state in this country into a border state. And finally, I believe it was last night I saw on one of the media outlets, I think it could have been Fox News, um, that finally the NYPD came in and like, all right, enough's enough. You're at it. Let's go. And basically, I guess relocated these individuals to Brooklyn or where they had to be. And shameful that if you are coming here because you're seeking political asylum, you're seeking uh, a better way of life, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And if you're coming here with nothing and you f- make it in, my wife's Hispanic, she's a Puerto Rican descent. You know, even in the Latin community, I mean we could talk about Cuba. Like, you're grateful, you're not entitled. You you bust your ear end, you work, you get the job done, and then you reap those financial rewards. Then if you want to go back to your native country at some point with your accumulated wealth or your hard work, your hard earnings from here, you're entitled to do that. But to have people come here and it, they're not even paying for it. You and I, the taxpayer. we're paying for this. And they're right. upset because of a blanket or food. Well, what were you eating four months ago before you got here? That would be my question. And if <laughs> you're that unhappy, no problem. I'm going to make you happy. Come on, we're going to get on a bus. That bus is going to drive to a tarmac. There's going to be a C-47 right there. Load them up. Where'd you come from? Venezuela? No problem. Go back there. And that's what should be done, in my opinion. If you're that unhappy here, please go back to where you came from and let me know how that turns out for you.
0: Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together we will bring justice to every victim.